What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Phil Gawthorne, and with me, as always, is Mr. Liam Billingham. The Al Powell to your John McClane, the Sam Neill to your Sean Connery and Hunt for October. I can't remember either of those characters' names. The Samuel L. Jackson to my Harrison Ford, but that would upset you because you would rather be Harrison Ford. I want to be Harrison Ford when I grow up. Because he is your biggest hero. Ah, Harrison Ford. Today's film is... Patriot Games. It's Die Hard in a political thriller. <gasps> Phil, I've yes, been waiting for this moment yeah. for a long time. It's a big deal for you. Time. Liam is a huge Harrison Ford guy. Yeah, Harrison Ford's my guy. Yeah. He's a big guy for me. Yeah. Um, where do I start? This movie was on in my house all the time. This movie was so important to my dad that one time, this is a true story, I never told you this. I went to my cousin's for a sleepover. And my dad went to the video store and rented Patriot Games and said, you should probably show this movie to them. Wow. So I showed up. Like My, my dad and I were movie people. My, my sisters were also movie people. My mother is a little less. My cousins never watched movies. Like, I don't even know if they had a VCR. And they were like, okay, I guess we'll watch this action movie that your dad has So your dad was a as- Patriot Games pusher. <laughs> I'm into it. He was it. a Tom Clancy something. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. Uh, it was on all the time in the house. Uh, I... I grew up in Boston, Irish Catholic. Uh, this was a big time in the conversation about the troubles and all these issues. And, and it, you know, it's, it's great in a way that you called it diehard and a political thriller because this is, you know, we've previously had political films on this show, like Hunt for October, but Hunt for October takes place, you know, in 1984, but was made in 1989. This is kind of concurrent with the troubles. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is really exciting. So this was just a big movie in my house growing up and, and the connection to the history is like pretty strong in my family. It was a big deal to me when I was a kid because what I remember about this film was it was the first time I started to appreciate filmic techniques oh. as in the music 
and some of the shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, there's the shot where um, there's just been the attempt on, on, we'll get into the story, but on, there's been an attempt on Jack Ryan outside the Naval Academy and the camera kind of pulls back as he realizes like, oh my gosh, my wife and kids are in danger. Oh, yeah. And I started to pick up on um, film craft when I saw this movie. So I, I, and also it was rare growing up in the UK to see an American film set in the UK with a big star. Um, and I have to say, I think a lot of American films that were set in Britain, they often get the cultural details like wrong or a little mm. off. But for the most part, I would say, at least on the British side, I can't speak to the Irish side, at least on the English side, um, little details like the newspapers, the Independent and the Evening Standard and the Tetley tea bags, and li- li- they got a lot of the touches Tetley right. Tetley tea bags is a great touch. You know, li- little things like that. So I, I, it was cool because it was, this was, uh, a, a, you know, it was a big Hollywood production um, set in, in you know, largely or at least at the beginning in, um, in the UK. It's also interesting this is the first film set in the UK and the US, which sort of mirrors our... Our, yeah, the on, show on the in a show, weird way. The, You're British, I'm American. Yeah. Will they be able to put aside their differences from the war for independence? I, I, I'm still, I'm still a bit, um, still a bit sore. You're like my favorite movie <laughs> no, is I've The Patriot, on. but from Jason <laughs> Isaac's it, perspective, it happened 200 years before I was born, so I was able to process <laughs> my uh, little, issues. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was 200 years. <laughs> um, so. This film is interesting in terms of die, in terms of its connection to Die Hard, because this show is about tracking Die Hard's um, influence um, through films that are direct Die Hard imitators, that are they Die Hard on a blank type type movies, but also films that he, it has influenced in more subtle ways. So with Hunt for Red October being Die Hard director John McTiernan's next movie Follow after up die, to die Hard, this is the sequel to Hunt for Red October. Therefore, this is one of those genealogical lines branching off, if you like. So that's how I sort of wanted to frame today's um, conversation. I think it's you, it's a really good point in terms of thinking about it as branching off because I think this branches off into a wholly different style of action filmmaking than we've talked about and one that I think has like long-term long ramifications for the for the action movie genre in general. I think it's is really really important. Should we give a, should I give a very quick uh plot synopsis of Patriot Games? We're going to explore this more in our section on the anatomy of an action movie later on. So briefly, Patriot Games takes place maybe a year or a few years after Hunford October. Jack Ryan is now a academic. He's in London giving a lecture, and he stops an attempted assassination of the royal family by a man named Sean Miller, who is a hardline IRA member. In doing so, Ryan kills Sean Miller's little brother, and Miller is arrested, put on trial, and convicted of an attempted assassination of the royal family. He escapes and begins to doggedly hunt Jack Ryan and his family across the ocean into the United States. That's a kind of brief yeah, take uh, on yeah. what the movie is. Should we talk a little bit about some top-line facts yeah. about the film Patriot Games? Yeah. So Patriot Games was released by Paramount Pictures in the U.S. on June the 5th, 1992, which is approximately two months after Hard Boiled, our last movie, received its Hong Kong release. It was directed by Philip Noyce and produced by Mace Neufeld and Robert Remy, uh, if I'm saying that correctly, maybe maybe not, R-E-H-M-E. It stars Harrison Ford, Sean Bean, Anne Archer, Patrick Bergen, and Thora Birch. 
The screenplay was written by Donald Stewart and W. Peter Eilif, adapted from the 1987 bestseller by Tom Clancy, which I read. Monster, um, monster book. It's, uh, How many pages? It's heavy. Well, the book, the, the book, the, my version, it's, something, it's like, actually, I know exactly because I was counting them down. It was 359, but the text wow. is so small that Very I feel small. like it was actually probably a 700 I, page Just book. so you're for your reference, I'm looking at the book that Phil was reading, and it, and it contains Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, and The Sum of All Fears, the three major Jack Ryan books are there more After, jack ryan well the interesting thing oh the about hunt for october the hunt for october the interesting thing about the books is that patriot games even though it was written after hunt for red october is actually a prequel uh huh, to I did not know hunt that. for red october um it tells essentially it's jack ryan's origin story but for the movies they decided to make it um as a sequel instead of making uh what the actual sequel would have been clear and present danger which was made later Huh, I did not know that. This movie, uh, really quick, was made on an estimated budget of $45 million, and it grossed $178 million. Sizable hit. That's pretty good. And I feel like this movie was a bit of a monster. I feel like everyone, maybe maybe I'm wrong. I think I say that about every movie, but no, that's it was, I paid attention. No, it was, it was a huge hit. Yeah, right. it, was a, it was a huge, uh, huge success. That's just the, you know, the box office, the home video and everything else. I mean, yeah. you know. Question for you, big, big maybe, maybe you've done the research. Why is Alec Baldwin not in this movie? So, from my understanding, Alec Baldwin wanted to do a Streetcar Named Desire on Broadway um, uh -huh. instead of doing the, the sequel. Um, Harrison Ford dropped out of another movie at Paramount around the same time, was suddenly available. They sent the script to him. It's actually kind of an interesting story because they were already committed to Philip Noyce, who, the Aust who's an Australian filmmaker. Good filmmaker. And Harrison Ford said, oh, I don't really know him. And they, they said, oh, we made this movie Dead Calm. He said, I don't know that one. And then he said he made a movie called Newsfront. And he was like, he made Newsfront? I'm in. What's Newsfront? Newsfront was a movie. I, gosh, I, it was a while. It was one of Philip Noyce's earlier movies. And it was about, I believe, post-World War II Australian newsmen and news newsreel like right. makers and it was an acclaimed movie i would have thought dead calm which starred sam neill one of our faves and yeah. nicole kidman and billy zane a great uh boat set i love um, that movie yeah sort of uh almost quasi hitchcockian slash nicole horror kidman's film um, debut i think isn't that her first movie well you might be forgetting about a classic movie called bmx bandits from oh 1986 God. of which of course i have the t-shirt um, <laughs> so we got to get you some other I, hobbies. I, I come into the studio on a BMX. Yeah, that's true. That when he doesn't take the sub from Glendale <laughs> yeah, yeah. or the um, train to the Canadian yeah. mountains. All right. Die Hard DNA is the section of the show where we sort of compare this movie to the film Die Hard. Well, we do that through the whole show, so that might be a little bit wild. But, but here we get let's, specific. Let's get specific. Yeah. <clears throat> so in genealogical terms, this is really the family tree branching off. Um, after directing Die Hard, John McTiernan made The Hunt for Red October in 1990, which started another new franchise. His third in a row. Predator, Die Hard, Hunt for Red October. What a king, baby. Incredible. There should be a last action hero franchise, but I don't get to make all the decisions. So, and he originally wanted to direct uh, direct the follow-up to Red October, but he wanted to do Clear and Present Danger next from a script by John Melius, which made sense because chronologically in the books, that was the, the next uh, the next. Um, story. 
Um, but Paramount wanted to do a sort of origin story for for Jack Ryan, and that's what this was in this in the book series. This was sort of uh, the beginnings, more of a character piece. We meet the family because in the first movie, you know, we talked about yeah. this in, in our episode. We meet Gates McFadden playing Kathy it's Ryan. The worst very part briefly. of the movie. It's like she's a jerk. She's mean. Yeah, she's sort of uh, Sally exists, and... but she's kind of like she's barely a character. I have to. You know, we'll get there. The, the casting in this movie is spot on. It's really really strong. So, but Nick Tiernan didn't direct this. It was Philip. Philip Noyce. I really want to say Philip Noyce, uh, who directed this film. Why didn't McTiernan direct this movie? Well, one of the the reasons, apparent, well, first of all, because he wanted to do Clear and Present Danger, but it was another um, piece of information that suggested uh, that he didn't want to do it because of his Irish-American background and he was a little uncomfortable with, uh, with the, the material. The the materials of the film. Um, I, that may or may not be true. That is, uh, that is out there. Um, Another, there is another tenuous link. Um, James Horner did the incredible score for this movie. Oh, I love James Horner. And as we discussed previously, one of his unused tracks from the Alien soundtrack, Resolution and Hyperspace, is actually in Die Hard in the scene where Al Powell kills Carl. So there's a direct connection there. I think, but in terms of more like the actual story rather than the personnel, it's worth noting this film features the family man action hero. Uh, uh, which is another departure from the pre-Die Hard action movie archetype, who are often loners. Like if you think about Rambo, Snake Plissken, the Chuck Norris movies. Right. You know, th this, because of Die Hard was so successful in the fact that the emotional heart of the movie was his relationship with Holly and the kids and fighting for family. I think it's worth noting that this film um, picked up that baton and really made it front and center. I mean, the tagline for this movie was not for honor, not for country for his wife and child. Oh, I don't know. I remember that on the box now, but that that is really really interesting. I also think this this movie plays on the die hard thing in that the the, the primary antagonists in this movie are are terrorists, yeah. right? I mean, die hard sort of started that trend, the bad guys and and sort of lampoons it at the same time with the news reporting stuff. They're in this they're political in this case they're politically motivated and die hard they were pretending to be politically motivated but they're actually financially motivated. And I think that that's one kind of interesting sort of connection between the two movies. I, I think it's it is very significant because if you think about it before Die Hard in the 1980s there were there were, I could only think of three examples of film of action films that dealt with terrorism in any way. Which ones? Uh, Nighthawks, uh, the oh, yeah. Sylvester Stallone movie where Rucker Howard plays a terrorist, Invasion USA, and the Delta Force. But none of those films were particularly serious or particularly credible. And in some ways, not all that memorable. No one's, I mean, I just don't think about those movies that much. They're not in the conversation particularly. Rucker Howard, though. Woof, yeah. what an actor. But it's worth noting because after Die Hard, suddenly terrorists became the Diriger antagonists. Um, you know, that you, you had Die Hard 2, of course, and then you have a, a, a plethora of them. Toy Soldiers, Under Siege, Passenger 57, uh, a lot, True uh, yeah. Lies, Sudden Death, Blown Away, all well, of these movies that suddenly, the, Die Hard changed that and made that um, become the fashionable villains. It's also fair to say that we're in the like golden age of the Die Hard on a blank era right it's now. Definitely it's definitely starting really, now. Whoo, yeah. Post toy a... soldiers, it really start there starts to be like two, three, four, five a year. Yeah. Um, Glory days, Halcyon days, my friend. Indeed. But this is this is probably the first um, American Hollywood studio movie to tackle terrorism in a more serious way and, and about, as you alluded to, an issue that was actually happening in the real world that was a contemporary 
there was a specific political context that this film was was, uh, was exploring. Yeah, and, and potentially in an incendiary way. You know, I think um, we talked about in the Hunt for October episode that there's this like kind of ability in that movie to, f- first of all, Hunt for October, in a way that's similar to both this and the Clear and Present Danger, is it doesn't present the Russians or, you know, Ramius and his team necessarily as black and white villains, right? It portrays them as complicated and it takes place and is made in this like post, post fall of the wall, glasnost kind of era when like things are changing. And so it was allowed to not be, I would say, largely propagandist, propagandistic in its nature. And I, this movie is even more on the nose because it's taking place in real time against the backdrop, backdrop of the troubles in Northern Ireland. And also, this is one of a few really strong movies that take place against the troubles that came out around this era. I'm thinking of a movie that I think is critically underrated, which is uh, The Devil's Own, also starring Harrison Ford and Brad Pitt, I think is a really, really strong movie. But it's it's really in the present tense of what's happening in the yeah, world. Yeah, Blown and Away two years later, away. Touched, mm-hmm. on, touched on this um, from a slightly different angle. Uh, the Jackal, uh, the Jackal. Ha- touched on it a little with bit. With Bruce. With Bruce Willis and Richard Gere playing uh, an and IRA I, uh, I love operative. it because it... Uh, you know, we the the thesis of this show is that like we're taking these action movies as seriously as any other genre, and I, I really think action movies have this unique ability to reflect and comment on situations, not even necessarily politically, but like to show world conflict in a well, really dynamic way. How I look at it is is sort of like this: like that action movies are almost an extension of the American psyche. You know, it's almost like what's going on in the mind and in the the zeitgeist, well you know, um, is often reflected back through through these movies. You know, they're, they're one of the most mainstream genres uh, with a broad appeal. But America is, um, you know, it, it has an association with a lot of these themes. It's a big part of the American psyche. Good and yeah. evil, Westerns, you know, um, the, the cowboys, whether, the, you know, we talked about how McLean is a cowboy. He's called a cowboy. Right. The, these are things that are so intrinsic, I think, to the, to the American psyche. So it's almost inevitable that as the genre becomes more um, sophisticated and more prevalent because there was more and more action films, there was a density of action films in the 90s that they start to draw on um, real world events uh, for you know for and the inspiration of the stories. People wanted it, I think. I think that people wanted serious. Like this is a drama as much as it's an action movie. In some ways, it's yeah. more of a drama than it is an action movie. And there, uh, every choice I think that's made in this movie. This is a really strong movie. I actually think of the three Jack Ryan films. I have uh, uh, you know. Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, Hunt for October. It's my least favorite in a way, but I I think it's just a really, really strong movie in a whole bunch of really, really exciting ways. I love this movie. Yeah, I'm rules. really excited to talk about it. Um, another great um, piece of diehard DNA that was brought to my attention um, was that um, Sean Miller, the Sean Bean character, his motivation is the same as Carl's motivation in Die Hard. Avenging the murder of his brother. Avenging the death of his brother, which is just another um, interesting tidbit. Should we talk about the anatomy of an action movie, Phil? Let's do it. So the anatomy of an action movie is uh, Phil's uh, Phil's design. It's a very, very smart way to break these movies I cooked it up in my action movie lab where there's (laughs) bubbling... uh... I spent three days in front of my (laughs) microscope looking at individual (laughs) frames of Die Hard going, what is it? There are six tenants. We live in a twilight world. 
of the anatomy of an action movie, of which we've decided, and I think you'll agree if you're listening to this podcast, that Die Hard gets full marks, A+, extra credit, gold star, up on the fridge, most improved student, <laughs> you know, best, best, Stop. best around. <laughs> so, Phil, without looking at your notes, don't look at your notes. I don't have notes. What's the premise? It's all of Patriot Games. <laughs> it's all locked it's in. It's all up here, baby. No, okay, without looking at my notes, when former CIA analyst Jack Ryan, no, I'm just kidding. When former CIA analyst Jack Ryan foils an IRA terrorist attack on the royal family, the vengeful terrorists target Ryan and his family in retaliation. In order to protect his wife and daughter, Ryan returns to the CIA world and a deadly game of international cat and mouse begins. Well said. Totally off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, no, not written down for sure. Definitely nothing not. funny about and I def- it. I'm also, it's not funny. <laughs> this is not a funny movie. It is a good movie. It's a great premise. It works well. I feel like the sort of setup is strong and it, it brings the best out in the lead of this movie, who we will talk about. We talked about how Ricochet was uh, playing with the revenge movie, like the classic yes. kind of revenge movie structure, and it was kind of p- quite playful with it. Uh, Cape Fear also had the same kind of paradigm. This is also I an literally interesting... wrote down Ricochet and Cape Fear. Yeah, as one it's, of my it's notes. an interesting riff on it um, because uh, you know our hero intercedes in this situation that he's not really part of and then the bad guy uh seeks to take revenge on him and then jack ryan seeks to take revenge yeah and so on it's a cycle of revenge which is weirdly almost like uh, a metaphor for the for the political underpinnings of this story in an, yeah in an that's odd actually way. well said um yeah one it's of like th- uh, eye for an eye makes the world go blind exactly. kind of thing you know exactly um and i i think there's another there's another part of it from a classical sort of structural standpoint that i think is interesting worth noting that is very very classical which is early on in the story um, you know, it's important to note that Jack Ryan is not a CIA agent or a CIA officer. He is a CIA analyst, right? Yes. Um, and he doesn't want to go back to the CIA. And his wife, Kathy Ryan, played by Anne Archer, specifically says, I can't go back to that life. And um, and he, he says, I don't want to go back to it either. Now, this is a this is the classic refusal of the call. Right. It's, it's kind of it's in it, screenwriting. Parlance. In screenwriting. The, parlance. The, 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 the hero is called to action and they re- deny they refuse. And this is in every Joseph Campbell, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to go on the adventure? Call to adventure, call refused, essentially. Yeah. Um, but it's roughly around the middle, I think, after they att- after the attack. on. I'll tell family. you, I know exactly when it is. It's 37 minutes into a two hour movie. There and the go. reason I know that is because I weirdly paused it at that moment when he goes point. back to the cia yeah, no that's 37 minutes is when he refuses oh the call. Yeah, yeah yeah and about 50 minutes in so 50 to an hour so almost again halfway so the midpoint yeah mid-point. point of no return yeah right into and screenwriting good movie and screenwriting language that was on the list it's called the assassin in the uk but it, i couldn't i could i actually really enjoy that yeah, movie Bridget based Fonda. on nikita, La Femme nikita. La Femme nikita. Love La Femme couldn't nikita. find a diehard connection so sadly i don't uh, think we're gonna do sorry, it Bridget. I, do, I do dig that movie. sorry luke besson the ticking clock i would say is very simple. Will Ryan be able to find and take out these terrorists before they strike again? Right. So at a certain point in the film, and I'm really curious to talk to you about the law and the portrayal of law enforcement in this movie, but Sean Bean escapes his confinement with the help of Patrick Bergen, play, uh, who's playing a character. Kevin O'Donnell. Kevin O'Donnell. Um, and uh, at that moment, uh, Ryan and his family are under threat again, and he's got to get them before they get away. You know, it's kind of classic. It works really, really well. Um, and you never sort of doubt the suspense of it. And it, it leads to two just absolutely amazing barnstormer sequences later in the movie that are so, so great. 
and we'll talk about that in the in the action section. But I wanted to, um, you know, I read the book. Okay. Uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks, have you um, slept? No, I yeah, am. And neither have I. But that's for different reasons. Babies. It's interesting in that. Okay, so Tom Clancy clearly a literary genius of you know uh, of a kind, right? Yeah, like one of, of the most successful. Storytellers and you know novelists. What I, you know of, what I think of him as? It's like an airport book times ten. Like you may bring it on a plane, but you're gonna be like, "Wow, this is a lot longer than the flight it's gonna take to get from you know the UK to Los Angeles or whatever." The it, case exactly. Is. And we talked about how in the Hunt for Red October episode, how Alec Baldwin said that Tom Clancy can describe a government issue pencil in three pages. Yeah. And that's a, that. I, I say that again because it's 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 so on the money. What these books do is drown you in detail, mm. and there's a double there's a double edged sword to that. One, it, it, it makes for an incredibly immersive experience. On the other hand, it, it can be almost tedious mm. um, because it's a slog to get through. It's like it's, Dickens. Well, it's literally knowing like, does if I was to put this cup of coffee on this computer, would it leave a ring? Those are the kind of details that are in Tom Clancy's <gasps> novels. Well, there's a techno thriller quality to this. To this, but I have a lot of thoughts about that too because there's one sequence in this movie that is bone chilling in terms of its techno thriller quality. That I'll that I'll talk. You may be able to guess what I'm talking about, but um, this movie is a little more successful in terms of the human stuff, the humanity of it, than I think The Hunt for October for reasons that we can get into when we talk about the hero. Yeah. Played well, by... Let's do it. Let's do let's, it. Let's, let's get right into All it. All right, clear the, clear the stage. Okay. Um, I love Harrison Ford. Uh, he's like a second dad. He is the same age as my dad. Would be, which is, you know, part of it. And I grew up watching these movies with him. Um, and it's, I love, you know, I love Han Solo. I love Indiana Jones. But there's something about this mid-career Harrison Ford that is this. It's uh, The Devil's Own. It's, I mean, even things like Witness, which are earlier and frantic, where he's allowed to be a little bit more than the wisecracking Indiana Jones and, and, and Solo. And look, he's amazing. I mean, his arc in the Star Wars movies is the best thing about those movies, all the way up to the recent ones. But there's something about him as like, in the hands of a lesser actor, the nerdy in a boxers and button down shirt stuff at the beginning of this movie, the like good family man, that also has to give over to a kind of homicidal rage at a certain point in the movie would be completely unbelievable in the hands of a lesser actor. And I just, it's like, I think he's the greatest movie star of all time, but I also think he's like an amazing actor. And I I, I love Alec Baldwin, but I, I think that Harrison Ford just invests this character at this time in his career when I think he's lost the need to prove anything and therefore can give a thoughtful, intelligent action hero performance. There's just nothing like it. There's nothing like what he does in this movie. There are people that did things similar, but no one will ever touch the humanity. You know, there's a scene in this movie towards the end when it's actually the last scene of the movie, and he's a his wife says, 
She's on the phone. You know, they've made it through uh, their own attempted murder several times. And he's sitting there with with his daughter and he he's like making her toast. And he says, do you want toast or toast? And she says, toast. And it's and she's toasting bread. And his wife gets a phone call. and It's the doctor. And it's about the it's about she's pregnant with their with with what we eventually find out will be a son. And she says, do we want to know what the baby do you want to know the baby is? Uh, Do you want to know if it's a boy or a girl? And. It's just he's the anticipation, the excitement, the enthusiasm. Like he he does so much with no lines of dialogue, and he the very last thing you see in the movie is Ann Archer knows it's what that it's, that it's a boy. We don't know that until clear and present danger. And his eye, he sort of is looking at her, and he wants her to answer, and his eyes kind of light up, and it's just such out of character with so many action movies and their goals. I think it's beautiful that this movie ends with the new revival of a new son. And as you said, the the, the tagline for the movie was about his family as opposed to honor or any of these things. It's and the emotional heart. It's the emotional, you yeah. Nev- you never lose sight of that and the fact that it ends with it and it begins with it as well. I think it begins with them in the family home and uh, and then they're on oh, the London trip. Or it begins with them trip, not right? in the family the, home. It opens with this oh, that's long, right. yes. beautiful credit sequence that I think is very elegant where it, it sort of goes over the hills of the outside of D.C., what I assume to be. Maryland, this house, Maryland, think, yeah. this house that's sort of on the water, which becomes pivotal. Yeah. Sick house, by the way. Yeah. Just, yeah. I want to live there. I'm sure this resonates with with you personally as well, because you know you you're yeah, experiencing some I mean, of these things. Yeah, it's, I have a daughter; she's five. I have a son. It's dad stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I absolutely get it. You know. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a little cheesy because I I, I sometimes cynically balk at the sort of exceptional heroism of a man kind of thing. Sometimes, sometimes I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, I get it. But in the hands of this actor, uh, there's like a decency to it that t- makes it transcend um, sort of the Hollywoodness of it or any of those things. And he just, he creates a, a sense of like love and duty and obligation to his family. Like no other actor can do this well, quite at this level. It's he, amazing. I understand why this is an emotionally powerful thing because I, I think, you know, picking up from what you're saying, my re- take on that would be like the great movie stars. And I think Harrison Ford fits into like the tradition of people like Gary Cooper. Yeah. Who teaches how to be good. Yeah. Who teach us values? Yeah. Who teach us? You know, he is a dad-like figure. He, obviously, he's a dad in the movie, but there is something about, you know, as as we look at our dads and we want them to be superheroes. Right. In many ways, they are to us. And Harrison Ford kind of brings that to life in a grandiose way. To your point about his brilliance as an actor, there was a specific story that I wanted to mention, uh, it, uh, as pertains to this movie. There's a scene in it which we'll talk about later. When um, they eventually track the where they this terrorist camp, which is listed as it being in North Africa, <laughs> wink, wink, um, and they send in the special forces uh, to take out the the suspected terrorists, and it's all experienced in CIA headquarters with uh, through satellite imagery. Pretty so rudimentary satellite imagery but compared at the time, to what we're used to now. Very you know, high tech. Very high time. tech and speaking to the techno thriller aspect. Now uh, the writers talked about how at the end of this scene. Um, it's a very interesting scene because one of his CIA colleagues, a younger guy, oh, says, that, now that is a kill, while sipping coffee and kind of gleefully getting off on what's movie. happening, Dick right? Dick of the movie, Dick of the movie. And Harrison Ford never loses his humanity in that moment and is kind of appalled and disgusted by 
their um, you know attitude towards what what's happening. It's deeply disturbing. Now, at the end of that scene, there was supposed to be a longer conversation between him and Jim Greer, uh, Admiral Greer, played by the amazing James Earl Jones, who's actually the only direct connection to Hunt for Red October, as far as I'm aware, mm. in, terms, in terms of cast and and uh, But chronology. what a connection! He really you, you we'll it, get it into, makes it feel yeah, like a sequel. He's incredible. Yeah, um, always. But. Um, what's interesting is there was supposed to be a whole conversation. There was a lot of dialogue about like, well, how do you feel about, you know, how are you doing, Jack? And do you, well, I feel okay. Uh, you know, I know that's what I'm supposed to do. Da, 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 da. And there was a whole load of dialogue. And Harrison Ford looked at the script and looked at the writers and talked about them. And he said, just put the camera on me. Yeah. And if you look yeah. at that scene, um, you see him go through the whole spectrum of complex, contradictory emotions of relief, right. guilt, uh, was this the right thing to do? You know, all of the all of the the complex feelings that would come from um, going through an experience like this, where you're essentially taking a bunch of lives, yeah, uh, with the godlike omniscient power that the CIA have, which this film kind of explores. But it speaks to we talked about this a little bit with Sean Connery, how the truly great actors bring us into their heart and soul without words. Yeah, no, and totally. Harrison Ford is one of the true greats for that. And I think, he, you know, I remember in the Blade Runner uh, uh, documentary, Sean Young talking about how Harrison was always the great technician and had such a true, and Jack Nicholson, I think, is the same way. A lot of the great movie actors, they have a true understanding of the story. They've never become directors. Right. But they they are, they almost are. They're a filmmaker in a way. They're a, right. they're a true storyteller as well as a movie star and as well as the lead actor. And Harrison Ford is, uh, yes, yeah, so amazing the precision of the technique. precision the technical but also yet yeah, he is the beating warm heart of this movie and he is it is total like um i get why this is uh emotionally uh powerful for, i think like, a lot of us that grew up in this time he was like well he's like a, the, a the tv dad, dad. He's yeah a TV he's, dad. A, he's, you, he's yeah. an extension you of mentioned it. it's like the american psyche i mean i think this is true uh, everywhere but like you're kind of raised by tv i was kind of raised by tv in some ways like yeah. low like you know third kid parents working sisters off doing their things like I would gravitate towards like, I'm going to watch Patriot Games again. I'm going to watch Clear and Present Danger, whatever it was again. And so there's this sort of surrogate father thing in this. And I also think, you know, another interesting thing is that this will, when, when people hear this, it'll be a little while later, but Harrison Ford's having a year right now because he's in uh, Shrinking on Apple TV and he has uh, the fifth, Indiana Jones film, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny coming out later this year, and he's 80 years old. He's also in one of the Yellowstone prequels. He's in the Yellowstone series prequels. with Helen Mirren. And so he's kind of for the first time in a, like, a long time back in the conversation. It's kind of ubiquitous yeah, right now. Yeah, it's so great. I mean, it's also tough to see like a hero at 80 years old and having aged and all these things, but there was an interview with him in The Hollywood Reporter where he they they ask him about his performance or something in Shrinking, and he goes, I don't talk about acting. I don't like to talk about acting. And he's kind of gruff and ornery, but, like, he he's kind of a class act, right? He's not a guy who's, like, fuck emotions, but he's not a guy that has to talk about it. And what's so great about the parallel you raised with that sequence when they invade the camp in North Africa, which, by the way, feels weirdly prophetic with so much of the way technology has shifted and things like made me think of the, the famous iconic war room Osama bin Laden right. photo. But it's all in the emotion. It's all in the face. And we were saying earlier that this film feels like, and over October a little bit, but this film doesn't even have that same kind of diehard 
uh, wisecracking moment where Alec Baldwin does a Sean Connery impression that we talk about in The Hunt for October. This is played straight, Mm -hmm. but it's so effective because the stakes feel real because you feel as though this could happen in many, many ways. And Ford is the perfect articulation of a guy with like who's thoughtful, who's I think like liberal in a way and like has, you know, like, but also sort of has to work within a system that is complicated and complex. And like, you know, the CIA is omnipresent and, and, and complicated and in some ways nefarious. And he's, He's a guy caught in a really, really complex world doing the best he can. And I think men our dad's age dealt with that reality too, this post-Vietnam, like what 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 has happened to the world kind of thing and having to exist. It's interesting that, that Ryan's a Marine, right? Mm-hmm. But he's not like a Marine. He's a complicated, thoughtful guy who, you know, it's reflecting on and Marines, place in the world. you know, there is a whole, th- you know, there's the expression like there's no such thing as an ex-Marine mm. and how there, there was a, there was an amazing video I remember seeing a few years ago where a bunch, it was like flooding somewhere and there was a bunch of Marines on a, on a, you know, on a, on a bus, I think, you know, they're all in uniform and they were going somewhere and there were all these people stuck in, in this, in the water and they would all, they all got out and, you know, in their dress, you know, uniforms and, and help them because yeah. that, those are the code, that is the code of the Marine Corps, right? It's right. not just about how you are in battle. It's about how you are as a person, as a man, as a, as a woman or whatever, you know, uh, how you, you see the world and the values that you have and so forth. And he kind of embodies that, yeah. uh, those, some of those but he's ideals, not, but he doesn't rub it in your face. He doesn't rub it in your face. And also I would never, in a weird way, maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive. I don't think of Harrison Ford as like an all American guy. I think he's like a thoughtful guy with his own sort of perspective on the world right and i think it's just so he feels like a real person right and that could be what it is he feels like a guy who's lived in the world and has to survive and take care of his family and also like not see things in black and white and yet he also kicks ass when he has to kick ass and you know i think you said that in the commentary track he referenced that he never has viewed Jack Ryan as an action hero. Yeah, and that was the one last point that I wanted to make about about this was yeah that he didn't he literally says on the documentary uh, I didn't see I didn't see Jack Ryan as an action hero but a regular guy he was yeah. a family man who worked in an office you know yeah um, it, but he, he did have this training in the book it talks and and they touch on it and I think they might do it a bit more in the Chris Pine iteration that he was a marine but I think he had an accident in training in a helicopter crash. So I don't think he saw combat and that yes. kind of screwed up his career. And I think they touch on that a little bit in Hunt for Red October. But um, he is a fascinating and iconic figure in, in whether he's an action hero per se or not, he is an iconic figure in action cinema. Well, this cinema. is all just an important, he's the thoughtful action hero. And like, you know, I've been for fun, I've been for fun because I don't watch enough action movies. I've been watching like post-taken Liam Neeson action movies right now, which are I think are great. And they have a formula. They're there to some some of them are die hard on a plane. Some of them are are die hard on a commuter train, right? But you can draw a line from Harrison Ford's Jack Ryan to every thoughtful Liam Neeson sort of like reluctant hero in those movies. And I always prefer that mournful kind of like I have to do something I don't want to do quality to these guys because it grounds them in the real world. Another thing that I I like very, very much and think is the best thing about Nolan's Batman movies is that Bruce Wayne doesn't want to be Batman. He has to be Batman, right? And he's complicated and 
it just makes for like a much richer intellectual experience than than it otherwise would. And I think Ford is really pivotal to inventing that kind of action hero. Of course, you have your Gary Coopers, you have your other finger figures early on, but Gene Hackman and, and also the conversation. There's a line between these kinds of guys, and I, I I think Harrison Ford just perfected it. It's great. And Clear and Present Danger capitalizes on a lot of the the sort of like dehumanizing issues. The bad guys in Clear and Present Danger, which I think we're gonna talk about yes, at some for point, sure. is the United States government. Yeah. Which I just think it, it goes further and further with each film. The film I think is a little bit more questioning of those sorts of things than than the book although i think the film is regarded as a very very pro cia yeah. kind of pro government movie mm -hmm. um should we move on to the villains let's do it i, I um, thanks for letting me on un unrolling my harrison ford i love you harrison ford you're the best the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about that's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials to participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The villains. So we've got kind of um, a, a hydra, a hydra, a, a triple-headed. Uh, we've got Sean Miller, uh, played by Sean Bean. Um, uh, we've got Kevin O'Donnell, played by Patrick Bergen. And we've got Annette, played by uh, Polly Walker. She's great. They're all Isn't great. She? You know, I think she and I think Kevin O'Donnell, frankly, makes a little bit less of an impression from me in this movie. But that's because he kind of is the straight man, so to speak, among the villains. He sort of is just there to be like, Sean, let's let's get it going. Let's make it moving. He does have that sick sequence where he kills the guys that try to kill him in his house. I wanted to just talk about that for a second because there's I don't know if you picked up on this, but he in that scene where Kevin O'Donnell played by Patrick Bergen is back in Ireland and the he's he's pissed off the 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 sort of they're a sort of IRA splinter group and the main traditional IRA guys he are not very happy that he's he's the doing this the beard right? and the, big, the guy with yeah. the beard so he meets with him in the pub and and the, the, with a brigade commander or whatever he is and then they send some guys to his house now 
Patrick Bergen is watching the a music video. For, what is that? It's Clanad's uh, song called Harry's uh, the the, the Harry's theme, game theme from Harry's game. Now, just to briefly, Harry's game, which was a 1982 miniseries by Yorkshire Television, um, is one of the my top three miniseries of all time wow. and the best thing I've ever seen that explores the Troubles. It's almost like The Wire for uh, wow. the Troubles in the way that it looks at. It's all about um, an undercover. Uh, it starts with an IRA hitman shooting a cabinet minister in front of his wife and children in London. So the British military send in a special operator to Belfast undercover uh, to try and find find the guy, but through the process, he falls in love with a with a with a woman, uh, and sort of experiences what what's going on on the other side, and it's very like humanistic and looks at all the complexities of it. It's also it's also a brilliant thriller, and it was written by Gerald Seymour, who was an ex ITN journalist, I believe. So it comes from that angle, comes from wow. that position. It's absolutely incredible. I've heard of it, but I don't know much about it's it. It's amazing. But the 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 um, the group Clanad um, do did the theme music for Harry's Game, and the music video of that is what he's watching in that scene. And the opening music is by them as well, isn't it? I'm not sure if that is uh, like actually Clanad or James Horner kind of channeling Clanad. That mournful Irish voice thing gets me every it's single very, time. It's very, very powerful, yeah. very, very evocative. The music is such a huge part of, I think, why this movie works. It almost speaks to ancient Irish ghosts and, yeah. you know. So the villains, what do we think about I, these? I think I think the movie in some way, I, you know, after my long Harrison Ford diatribe, I think in some ways this movie belongs to Sean Bean. I think he, you know, we were texting about this probably last night. It's pretty amazing that despite the fact that he tries to kill a child multiple times in this movie, it's not that you're sympathetic to him, but that there's the ability to go like, this is a guy who's like a little lost, whose ideology has gotten away of his like morality. And you can sort of view him as a sad, impetuous boy, as opposed to like a fully indoctrinated uh, villain. I think that that gives this movie the tragic dimension to explore a tragic subject in a really important and powerful well, it's way. It's interesting because in a weird way, if you sort of go through the, the looking glass of this movie and look at it from his perspective, he's essentially, he, he only cares about revenge on Jack Ryan and his family because of what's happened to his brother. Right. Right. So it's the same, the same thing that is driving Jack Ryan, not for honor, not for country, for his wife and child, in a, you know, for family, for blood, essentially, is also driving Sean Bean. He no longer cares about the political cause right. or anything like that. He's, he's completely a person, a personal vendetta. Um, and really, you could say in some ways the real "quote unquote" villain is is Kevin O'Donnell, who has sort of groomed him and oh, that's uh, well you know, said, yeah, uh, indoctrinated uh, and, and, him, indoctrinated him, and sort of controls him and puppeteers him like like a dog almost, like right. directs him uh, as as he needs to for his uh, machinations. But then, what's interesting is if you think about it as Sean Bean's movie, then he escapes that at the end when he kills Kevin O'Donnell, right? And he, he kills Polly, yeah, uh, Annette, Polly Walker in yeah. the film. He sort of escapes the ideological ideological underpinnings of what he's supposed to. Do right. He doesn't feel that connected to the IRA, as it were. He feels connected to his brother, and that's tragic. That's it's sad. It's, it's interesting as well that that the sequence towards the end, which we talk about in the action section, where he's become. I really like the bit where Kevin O'Donnell says to him, like Sean, cool it. Like we're here for 
you know, uh, a political purpose, which right. is actually to kidnap the 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 royal. Right. Um, is is their intention? Um, and but Sean Bean is just completely, you know, if we look at him as like an attack dog, he uh, controlled by Kevin O'Donnell, he's off the chain at that yeah. point. He's off the leash. Um, uh, it, it, he's, I think, he, I think, I personally think it's a great performance by Sean Bean. Sean Bean is such a good you know? actor. I mean, he's, I don't think he's ever done a bad performance. He's always, he's always. Uh, there's just, I don't know, there's something earthy and grounded and real and authentic about about him. Um, I, I think they're all really good. They at, are really you know, good. I really, like, I really like the Annette, uh, the Annette character. And the, there was actually some origins of that. There was, a, there was a true similar incident where someone that was like an English uh, woman who was quite, you know, from aristocracy or something. I can't remember exactly, but was, was drawn into this world. She is a really interesting... Interesting character, quite a vivid, yeah. a vivid, a vivid character. Uh, they're good. They're good villains. Three interesting villains. Well, they all feel like real people, and like you feel like they're committed to their cause, and that's really interesting. And you know, the the more that we talk about it, the more I reflect kind of on how like what's happening. Whilst it's you can sympathize with people that that kill children, you can sympathize with the larger tragedy that they're a part of and and they're caught up in if that makes sense. You know, there's two I wouldn't call them villains, but there's another character I want to talk about in this con context which is Inspector Robert Highland, yes. played by David Threffel. Is that David Threffel, yeah. Threffel. Yeah. Who um is the police off Irish police officer working in the UK who mm -hmm. uh or after Ryan after Jack Ryan takes down Sean Miller is sort of a antagonist towards him, right? There, he, he's present for, you know, sort of the questioning of Ryan and is very dogmatic about Ryan not knowing too much about certain details. But also, he kind of, it's a really interesting- He's almost like a self-hating- Self-hating Irishman, Irishman, yeah. Right? And I uh, thought that was me. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's he's a, he's a very very good actor. He's very well known in in the UK. Yeah, I think I, he, I think him. he was at Shameless. I think was his oh, okay. the, the British version of Shameless. But he's been around for ages. He's great. Um, there is a, there the, there is a thing we talked about this a little bit with Hard Boiled about these characters that were having some kind of inner conflict or almost at war with themselves in some way. Of course, there's the traitor character uh, Jeffrey Watkins, who is like the royal yes. uh, administrator, great, great who's like classic kind of aristocratic That's English pretty, character who's yeah. actually working for the IRS. As, a, as the inside person. Um, there's a lot of stuff in here that is about identity and, and confusion, well you know. But yeah, he does seem kind of weirdly sympathetic to Sean Miller and, and kind of... Um, he's a part of the police apparatus, but he seems to kind of hate it. He's kind of he does a lot with a little. I think it's a really interesting character well, and performance, and he's quite actually heroic because when they they've got the bridge keeper in the scene in the escape, and they basically like what do we do? Because they're trying to leverage them to open the door to let Sean Miller out in the van when they're transporting him to the prison, and he's he he basically knows if we open the door, we're all going to get killed. Uh, but yeah. there's an innocent man who's just caught up in it outside and. You know, it, it's it's he's an interesting. It's a really interesting part. It is. Um, well, I was going to say one of my favorite things he does in the movie is on the day of Sean Miller's transfer to probably the worst fucking prison in the universe in the UK. He brings him a coffee, mm -hmm. and it's like a shitty cup of coffee, but he does it right. He's 
he's so interesting. He kind of steals the scenes he's in. You know, I referenced it before, but there's a scene where he and uh, Alun Armstrong, Alan Armstrong, Alan Armstrong, yeah, Armstrong yeah. as Sergeant Another Owens, great British actor, a great actor. It kind of reminds me of Mr. Bean. <laughs> I know that's weird, but he looks like Mr. Bean. He they interrogate Harrison Ford about the shooting, and Highland won't like. Sergeant Owens is kind of good cop, and he's kind of like bitching about Miller and how you know he saw his father gunned down. Very tragic. Um, and Highland keeps being like, he doesn't need to know all this. And he just comes alive. Like you you hit on the word self-hating Irish at the exact same time that I did, which is like, he's conflicted, he's complicated. And you know, it's obviously a super complicated, you know, situation, the troubles and everything, but this movie does an amazing job of personalizing that for the people involved. He literally it. says at one point, like, I can't bring myself to condemn you because I know where the hatred comes from. Yes. I more than understand it. So he, he for a character that's not really in the movie too much, he is in the book quite a lot, um, but he, he comes, he really does come to life through that through that performance. He really gives him dimension. Very, very interesting. Well, and this is also what um, I just want to say briefly about why I love this kind of movie so much is that it, it, it's an action movie, but it's it's. I don't think this movie is particularly cathartic in its action or cathartic, and it doesn't offer solutions to an impossible question. It just kind of does the work of telling a story rather powerfully in a two-hour period about like the toll, and not just the toll on the main American character, but the self-hating Irishman and the the like, you know, the the hardliner who is a, kind of a monster, but also has been groomed to be one, or, or any of these things, or the, you know, the the slightly like buffoonish bookseller who's like gotten in way over his head or whatever the case was. And and the interesting thing with Annette being British, she's British, right? But she's working with the, that at one point in the film, they reference her as being British. Mm -hmm. and yeah, I, I just, English, it's yeah. English, and it's, thank you. It's just interesting that, <laughs> it's just interesting that, that it takes the time to establish the ethnic and cultural identities of these characters and makes the whole thing feel tragic. In a really powerful way. Boy, this is a real hoot of an episode, huh, guys? Let's lighten, let's lighten things up by talking about the initial IRA attack on the royal family. <laughs> um, I I think this sequence is ex exceptionally well executed. The build is really powerful. My favorite thing about this initial IRA attack is the way Ford jumps on, I think it's Sean Bean or the brother, because he does it in a way that suggests he's not an action hero. He kind of just throws his body in the air, you know? And it's almost like luck an accident that he gets two shots off and manages to neutralize the guys that he does. And it it all feels chaotic. Not in like the glorious way that we felt in Hard Boiled, our last movie, but more in the way that like, this could have gone a different way very, very quickly. And that's powerful. Another thing that's interesting about that sequence, and we talked a little bit about why Harrison Ford is such, he's such an amazing movie star. I feel like he is capable of acting and uh, portraying emotion while he's in the middle of an action yes, scene. Yes, yes. Right? Like the way that he runs, um, the expression on his face, you know, there's something about he's still um, able to convey complex emotions uh, while he's in the middle of, uh, you know, a sort of stunt-driven uh, set right. piece. Right, You know? I because mean, he never feels like he should be in them. Which is what's so impressive. He just seems like a guy walking down the street with a shirt and, and pants yeah, actually, on. Actually, he's what you know. He does a lot of his own stunts, and he's very, very athletic. And you know, the, he the one off the, like four plane yeah, crashes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's he's kind of a Superman. You yeah. know, he's kind of like a meta human. Yeah, it's gonna be. Um, but you know, the, in, the book it mentions like you know to your point that he uh, he was trying to do a football tackle. Like he, he was drawing uh, on his old kind of football were to strike somebody, and that's how he just wasn't expecting it. He runs at the guy from behind, kind of whacks him. You know, 
know, in the back, like probably knocks the wind out of him. Mm -hmm. The gun clatters down. But what I love about it as well is that he doesn't get away clean. He does get he shot. does get shot in the shoulder. It's messy. It feels very realistic for the situation. Well, it feels like um, it could, you know, Noyce is a good enough filmmaker to make you feel like he's operating on instinct. You know, there's a scene a little later in the movie where Samuel Jackson, who's makes a brief but great imp this is pre pulp fiction right two so years before so yeah. he's kind of not he's not like Sam the samuel jackson that he's kind of becoming away but he's like such a sturdy good actor there's a scene later in the movie where he's like what motivated you to do this and mm. ford says it just pissed me off it was rage and you're like it's totally believable he's just furious and he acts without thinking like it's kind of a stupid thing in a way it's a stupid thing to do like he risks his death you know what i mean but like he does it and it's it it's so believable that then he's like, what the f what but, did I but do? But you know what's what you know these things happen in real life. Like we're, we're God, you know, God forbid these terrible uh, type you know situations, and real people have left to the rescue, you yeah. know. Um, and so there is something, even though it seems like this is a sort of quote unquote action hero type uh, moment, you know, th this kind of kind of thing does happen where people just can't abide. They can't just do nothing, right? You know, and it, it is incredibly heroic, but it does. Um, it does happen. I think that's a really, uh, you know, we're talking about action movie terms. I think it's a great sequence. Um, frightening, you know. Uh, visceral. Visceral, intense, um, very, very effective well, very way human. to start the movie. What a, what a catalyst to start the movie. One of the things that's great about this movie is when they get that, uh, the mask off of Sean Bean, he, um, the look on his face, like the horror at his brother's, you know, death and how he's kind of just staring at Ryan is is so it's so it's just awful it's awful to look at it feels human it feels like wow someone really died here it's you know it's not like 10 bodies in the street it's one or two people have died and it's sad to look at it's just very powerful and complicated but he also shoots the drivers and so right. you know see that that's pretty horrific the way that they're yeah, they just the, kind the of way that they're killed bullets. you know and they're, they're just you know the sort of casualties in this uh in this awful um you know awful attack it's just a big mess yep um very good sequence but then the next the next big one Ooh. is the f the freeway one right like that that i can think well of. even before that it's the attempted uh ta take taking of harrison ford's life by the dude uh, on campus who looks like he's Ooh, this is, yes yeah, that's the same, same yes that's so like the same, Ford is same leaving, period, yeah. leaving whatever university he's teaching at and there's a guy wearing like sweats who clearly is clutching a gun under his you know sweatshirt or whatever and Annette is there in a car, once again, a red-haired woman in a Jeep, which he sees earlier in the film as well, and that's what helps him pierce things together. But he sort of notices this guy acting a little funny, the big dude, and he starts to walk towards, I guess, his car, his, his dad dad station wagon. I love that he that she drives a Porsche yeah. and he drives yeah, a yeah, dad yeah. station wagon. It's like, it's one's a, a doctor, touch. one's a teacher. Yep. Um, and he notices in the rearview mirror this guy coming, and Ford, again, communicates danger and fear and he gets the shit kicked out of him by this guy that's what i love about it is he ford, and he asked ford to do that he really asked, like harrison ford w w they, originally i think he, it was more of a fair fight or he, he you know um, and harrison ford was like i'm 50 this guy's like 22 he would beat me up he looks you know? great at 50 yeah i mean and, and you believe that he would uh he could beat that guy up who by the way is i think is a dead ringer for jared goff the detroit lions uh, quarterback <laughs> who used to be with the rams that's funny um but so, it, he gets yeah it's it's and then it again it's real the right. point is it feels kind of real a little bit messy he throws a punch misses the guy you know that he drops the gun but then he punches Jack Ryan in the stomach and he were it not for being saved by the soldiers who are I think it's the uh, Naval Academy where yeah, he's it's teaching the Naval Academy, right of course, in, in yes. Annapolis so um he, he 
Jack Ryan doesn't save the day. He would have been killed had the soldier not uh, not seen. No, it's like he's survived the by the skin of his teeth. It's yeah, a great, very, it's very great. real, very, yeah. very realistic. I would say, you know, within the confines of an action movie, and then we're on to this terrifying uh, freeway chase. Where Sean Bean in a van takes out Ann Archer, uh, takes out Kathy Ryan and Sally in the car with an Uzi out the side of the vehicle. It's, it's, and it's they so crash. It's frightening so frightening yeah. and upsetting. And, you know, th there is a period in that. <laughs> I was watching it with, uh, you know, with, with my wife a few days ago and she was like looking at me like, what are you, like, what are you going to make me watch here? Yeah. She was very, very worried about what was going to happen to Sally and Kathy in that scene. And, you know, and that kind of just goes to show like how effective it is that this feels like, oh my gosh, they, they could they could die in the yeah. scene. You think they do it's, die almost? And, and, yeah, you do. And and you, my gosh, you see them on, you know, Gurneys. being wheeled out. Yeah, in the in the in the helicopter, and they're covered in blood. And it doesn't pull punches. No, because it is showing you these are the consequences of terrorist violence, of violence in in general. It really doesn't shy away from showing you like this is this is what it looks like. It's ugly and it's horrible. The hardest you know? part of the movie to watch is the scene where Kathy wakes up. And she's oh, like, yeah. "Where's Sally?" And he Ugh. and and for uh, Jack Ryan says, "She's she's uh, she's in rough shape. They had to remove her spleen." You're like, Ugh. "Every time it gets yeah, it's me. murder." Well, because Ford is, Ford and they're both incredible in yeah. it. They're both so good because it's like mm. again, it's about family. It's not about like you know action or whatever. And so you feel the real world consequences of this. This is not an action scene, but you know to change the mood a little bit. There's a scene that comes before the finale at the that that the Ryan house and the sort of boat sequence that is the most action movie esque yeah. part of the movie. But there's a scene where Ford goes to an Irish bar and confronts Richard Harris, who's playing Paddy O'Neill. Paddy O'Neill, who's sort of a Sinn Fein uh representative, right? Sort of the political side of the organization who who goes on TV and goes, you know, none of us wanted this to happen, you know, and like there's a question of if he knows what happens or not. Like, he's a complicated figure. Mm -hmm. But they go into the bar, and Ford is like, where's Sean Miller? And he's like, I'm not going to tell you anything. And Ford says, I will fucking destroy <laughs> you. And it's like, it's basically an action sequence because it is so visceral and real. And it's that thing that, like, he says earlier, it was rage. I was pissed off. I was angry that this happened. And I, I don't think of it as an action sequence, but it's get your blood boiling because he's angry. And Ford doesn't do that that often in movies. He's much more known as the kind of, like, in, in Indiana Jones as, like, you know... The lovable rogue, lovable rogue almost, yeah. Or, or whatever well, th it is. This is when he channels his righteous indignation, oh. as he does in this and, like, Air Force One, for yeah. example. But Get off my plane. In some ways more effectively in this because yeah. this is a more realistic well, movie. Well, Air Force One's a weird, was weird in know? that regard. It's almost a third Jack Ryan movie, but yeah. not quite. But not, uh, not yeah, and sort of not as grounded. No yes, pun, I agree. No pun intended. Enjoy it. <laughs> um, but that finale, I think, it is an absolute banger. And yeah. I remember distinctly, this was the first time I had seen night vision in a movie, uh, like the night vision technology. Now, free it had, the rock. It had appeared in um, Silence of the Lambs, but I hadn't seen it at that mm -hmm. time. And it's actually in Living Daylights. Mm. Um, but uh, this was the first time I'd ever seen it used. And I remember the combination of the music and the, the suits they're wearing as well when the bad guys go in are very, it's almost like Lawnmower Man, actually. They're kind of like these Did gray, Did they feel like they were slick. too well equipped? 
I mean, that's an expensive operation, <laughs> but they do cheap. seem to have a lot of, you know, a, they get, a lot of money. They're, um, yeah, that's, it's, it's they're well financed. Yeah, you know? that's true. The movie never gets into that side of it, but it is believable in the sense that there's money. That's yeah, they're you know, well they're going to terrorist camps and training, right. and there's there's clearly you know there's clearly like money that's supporting their 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 endeavors. But that that finale, I think, is is so suspenseful. Uh, basically, what's happening is Jack Ryan. Um, is going to get a, a, an award by the um, the royals Royal who have um, who've um, who he saved, who I believe is this Secretary of State for Northern Ireland is uh, is technically what he is, and he's like the Queen Mother's cousin. What happens in the finale is Jack Ryan is at his home um, celebrating Sally's return yep. from the hospital after yep. being in the hospital for what. And feels I like love months. that detail that he's like he can't change that appointment when the royals say they they wanted to try and meet up with him he's like he has an appointment he yeah. can't change yeah. he won't prioritize meeting the royal family over his, his daughter family. so he that just says invites them so he invites them and they say why not so james fox as lord william holmes the secretary of state for northern ireland and uh, some of his entourage um go to the ryan household and that's when the bad guys strike and it's um, a great build-up because there's obviously because there's a member of the royal family there and also ryan's life has been in danger there's like a whole bunch of cops maryland state police people outside and they all get quietly killed by miller and his gang and it starts to dawn uh, so great talk about a mclean detective kind of moment the power goes out and he looks outside and he goes the lights in the boathouse are still on which is like chilling because it's like why would the lights be on in the boathouse if the power's out here and that's when he knows and that and the lack of response on the radio the walkies makes him go something else is going on here and then Miller and his group enter the building, and it's a cat, cat great yeah. cat and mouse. Cat and mouse, and Samuel L. Jackson's there as as Robbie, um, and you know he's he's part of it and part of the the, the fight back. Fan, I think it's just a fantastic scene. It's so suspenseful. It's so gripping. The the sound the, and the lack thereof and the storm. It's just really really. You know what's amazing about it is that there's two things. One, barely a sound. And barely a shot fired. And that's what makes it really, really powerful is that barely does... I mean, there's a shotgun that gets just used as a blunt blunt object as opposed to like an actual gun. Like it's really sort of cat and mousey quiet as opposed to like an outright shootout, which I think yeah. really, really makes it really strong. Miller fires a couple times, but it's almost at the end in desperation. And the guns are the silenced as well, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just fire when they get on the boat. And then, of course, yeah, this leads to them uh, a boat chase mm -hmm. uh, between Ryan and, uh, well, Ryan actually gets in a boat to, uh, as a, as a trick to, uh, pull, you know, he, he pull them away from the uh, pull the pull the bad guys away from the royals uh, who are hiding on the, in the rocks, and then so they they're being pursued by O'Donnell and Annette and uh, Sean Miller. Um, but then when the I don't know what you would call that on a boat. You're from Massachusetts. You must know what that's I don't called. Know what that's called. I'm going boats. You, you don't. You, I thought you were just like the Kennedys over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. Just like <laughs> my parents wish. Yeah. My actually, ooh, I don't know if they do. Uh, yeah, that's sort of top of the boat. But I don't. It know. comes off, but it reveals the fact that Ryan is on his own, and therefore it's a sort of decoy run. So that's when O'Donnell and Annette are like, no, we have to go back because they're they're actually trying to kidnap uh, Lord Holmes um, uh, to leverage yeah. him. So the interesting thing about this boat chase. Um, was uh, well, well, the end of that sequence, which is a really ex pretty exhilarating, Harrowing. exciting sequence, um, is it was a reshoot. So what the original ending uh, ended with um, Miller and Jack Ryan. They ended up on like some rocks, fighting to the mm. death, and they went. They fought underwater, um, and 
it, there was a shot, sort of a wide shot, where uh, you see one figure rise up and one go down. And the idea was, almost, when it was that was described, it was reminding me of the end of Drive, where you see the shadows and you're not sure who survived that fight. Oh, right, 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 right. Is, so it sounded amazing. But um, the producer was saying, um, Mace Neufeld was, was, was saying, basically, it was like very, very pretty and very, very boring. Mm. It just didn't have the punch that well, they those needed. those boats are flying. They look so like they're flying. Their idea was, why don't we make it a Western type thing where the boats are, or, or, I guess, like two stagecoaches or, mm -hmm. or two horses, if you, you know, whatever, whatever you want to say, that are, you know, yeah, propulsively going through the waters and then Sean Miller jumps from one to the other. Is it right um, he jumps to the one that's on fire, which tells you what a suicide Side mission this that is bit this is so guy. yeah it's so crazy it's yeah. so like uh you know so so exciting that bit and then th so the ending with uh, they fight to the death on the boat um that, that was all a reach that was all a reshoot the bit where they fight on the boat and then it ends with spoiler alert pause um, the podcast if you haven't gotten seen patriot games saw yet. it out yeah, um, that's crazy. With, with Sean Miller falling onto the anchor, right? Um, after this really visceral uh, scrap to the death, um, so a lot of, that actually most action movie actiony part of and the that movie. Took, uh, I think it was Roger Ebert said that he thought that was like he he was expecting something more cerebral after Hunt for Red October, and he mm. described that ending as I wasn't expecting the Indiana Jones ending. Which in a way um, is fair, but also I think that they wanted the suspense to build to something in the movie. The movie needed it. This yeah. was this is a feud. Right between these two characters, yeah, that's it's, true. it's kind of a, blo go, it's, mano a mano. It's a blood feud, the, yeah. and the audience craves. Cra you know, you have to be in tune with what's the audience emotional experience of the movie. What do they want? What are they craving? Yeah. You know, if you l lose sight of that at your peril, I would say, and you know, obviously, you know, you, you, that's sort of commodified through the testing process, and that the original ending tested badly. But I think, um, you know, it, it's cost them a lot of money to redo oh, that. I, but it was, I bet. but it was worth it. Because it was it because of that it was a you know partly because of that then the film was completed the story works and the film's a big hit so a bunch of great action sequences but kind of different from the ones that were typically described because they're more visceral and more somewhat grounded or realistic. I mean it just works it's, it's suspenseful it's scary there's a really you know very quickly before we jump onto our final tenant the way they go in and out of the basement time and time again is just so smart like it uses the house really logically Philip Noyce is a really good craftsman and really good at doing action and, and i think even i think the film he follows this up with clear and present danger is is, is some absolutely harrowing action and in some ways is a i think a, a even better movie i think he's a one. great director he's a really muscular director yeah uh, but also sensitive and nuanced at the same time yeah. gets all the little details right gets all the little touches right just to, on that point one thing i noticed watching it again in the opening sequence in terms of like these little nuances that you don't necessarily notice when jack ryan is running towards uh his wife and child saying like get down get down when he realizes Ugh. there's a bomb gonna go off and Archer turns her back to where the explosion is to shield Thora Sa Birch. Sally, yeah. Uh, and then Jack Ryan comes in and like shields both of them. But that little detail, like things like that that are like, that gets me. You right. Because like, that's what you do as a parent. You're like, yeah. you know. You, you sort um, of your And also, we should, that's a quick moment to say that Ann Archer as Kathy Ryan is so good in this movie. Such like a realized, fully realized character. Like she and Ford have such good chemistry. Um, and the family stuff, I think doesn't quite inf like it, it sort of inform informs the humor because i view this movie less as like a like humor and like a haha -ha sense but like the human comedy or like the idea of a family they're playing monopoly late at night on vacation they're you know he's like do you want toast or toast like real actual feels lived in 
human kind of dynamics. Ford's a geek. He's like a dad. He's in his boxers and a button-down shirt, and she shows up like looking beautiful, and he's like, bah, 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 bah. like the humor comes from again from being humans, from like being well, he's regular. He's not afraid people. to make himself look a little um, nerdy, silly, or right. goofy, or 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 whatnot. But of course, he never can because he's Harrison well, Ford. He's Harrison so Ford. <laughs> he's the most handsome guy that's but ever lived. He's he feels full of sort of just he's just a human guy right like his foibles he's a real guy he's a nerdy dad you can roll your eyes at him he doesn't make dad jokes because that wouldn't befit harrison ford either but he's just kind of just the humor is he's he's charming he's adorable there isn't a ton of humor in the movie but you're right it does come from that that side of it the family just the the normal real textured family life uh you know and the and Laura Birch as Sally, her her the quirky things that she says and her yeah. her she has she's a kind, cute quite kid a but not annoying. Yes, she's sort of precocious but without being annoying, which is quite a difficult line to walk. I think James Earl Jones is just kind of has the delivery, this deadpan ability, like oh, to be yeah. funny. That that really works a few times in the movie. Yeah, it's definitely not a funny movie. It doesn't have the space to be funny. It's not it a funny subject. Be. No, it's so, not, not a funny you know, subject. It's at not all. a funny movie, which is fine. Um, it's a good movie though. It's a hell of a good movie. Hell of a good hell movie. Hell of a good action thriller. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You know, more action movies deserve awards, deserve Oscars. So that's why we invented the Die Hard Oscars, a.k.a. the Action Movie Awards. So give us a second. We just got to put our tuxedos on. Get the hairspray, get the Ooh, uh, nasty thing, cologne going. Often, <laughs> and often at award ceremonies, there's alcohol. Didn't this movie make you kind of want to go to like an Irish pub or an English pub? Like, oh, totally. You, yeah, yeah, you know, like kind of, oh, I miss that. Well, it's, it's interesting thing. You know, we talked with Hard Boiled. It was a tequila slammer. This is a pint of Guinness, mm. uh, you know, kind of situation. Yeah, Each delicious. movie should have a, a drink. Uh, uh, yeah, in, in, I like a Guinness a lot. I, I don't know if it's my favorite beer, but I do like a Guinness every once in a while. The John McClane Yippie Ki Yay Award for Best Line. Phil, the nominees are. Well, I've got th- uh, three, three, four. I've got four here. Okay. Uh, there was one that was the most quippy because this is, as we say, this is a serious film. So there isn't, there isn't a, there are sort of glib one liners that you might get in other action movies. Yeah. But there was w- one where, um, when uh, Annette is. Um, uh, doing her honey trap on the oh. IRA brigade commander, and she he says, "Oh, you're not going to make me wear a rubber, are you?" The, the church says, "Wearing one one of them's a sin, darling." And then she pulls out the gun and says, "So's this, darling." And she blows his head shoots up. him twice. And that, that guy was, sucks. That was a zinger. That guy sucks. Yeah, yeah, he deserves it. Uh, taking his wedding ring off, gross. Yeah. Okay. Um, Another one that was a bit more sort of chilling, but I just thought that the the turn of phrase where I thought was very powerful when. Admiral Greer, uh, James Earl Jones says, um, when they're debating whether or not they're not sure if it's the right camp to go Mm. in, and he says, SAS could take on any one of these camps in under two minutes, kill everybody there, and be gone before the echo fades. 
are you sure this is the same woman? I found that that's like spine chilling. Spine chilling. You know, but I like that it speaks to this thing of like questioning that omniscient power of the CIA, the godlike power to just snuff out lives. It doesn't look at it as a complete, it, there is a little bit of celebration of it. And in the context of what's happening for the story, yeah. it, it, you want the power of the CIA to protect your family. But there is, a, what, what I think is nuanced about it is there is that slight moral questioning of this is, this is a very powerful tool that we're wielding here and that we have a lot, we have a lot of power. Is that a good thing or not? So I, th I thought that was a really great line. And to be fair to Clancy, that was actually in the book. Oh, that's cool. But m the last one and my vote oh. would go to, uh, when, again, when they're in, in this period of the film where they're debating whether or not to, to do the raid, um, Admiral Greer says to Jack, like, excuse me, tell me one thing in life that is absolutely, absolutely for certain, to which he responds, my daughter's love. And to me, that's what, it, he sells it better than I can because he's Harrison Ford. That's, Did Harrison um, Ford just enter I your body? <laughs> I can't do. I can't do He's a Harrison because, Ford. Well, there's no. There's only. There's only a couple things you can do it's with that. Theme stated, right? Yeah. Uh, again, in screenwriting parlance, that's the the heart of the story. That's what this is about. It's about his daughter's love, a love of family. So for me, that gets my vote, even though it's like kind of kind of a sentimental line. Um, powerful. I think. I think that's a good choice. I'm a big fan of I Will Fucking Destroy You, but I want to just pull back a reference to something that I think we've discovered in the course of this conversation, which is um, Robert Hyland's line about, like, I can't quite bring myself to condemn you because I understand where you're coming from. I just think speaks to the nuance and complexity of this this whole thing and, and just gives it a tragic dimension, right? It's So that would be my pick, but I like your pick too. I, I also just think I will make it my mission in life. He's just amazing. The way he says that. Incredible. It's also the, it's not just the line itself, but it's the delivery of the line. He's the greatest. Hey, Harrison, Harrison, Harrison Ford, you're the greatest. The greatest that ever was. The Hans Gruber Exceptional Thief Award for stealing the film. The nominees are... Anne Archer as Kathy Ryan. Very good. Thora Birch as Sally Ryan, James Earl Jones as Admiral Jim Greer, and Sean Bean as Sean Miller. Do you have any? To, do, you, I was, do you have anything to add, Mr. Ryan? <laughs> yeah, Harrison Ford steals the movie. I'm sorry, he does. No, I know we can't pick him. Um, you know who I think is really good in this movie that I don't know if deserves that, but I think is great is J. E. Freeman as Marty Cantor. Yes, I had him actually from the next category. Interesting. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. He's, he's, he's good excellent. actor, gone before his time. Yeah. You know, to, passed away from AIDS, which I discovered. Yeah. It's very yeah. tragic, but great actor and sort of like a, a iconic, oh, that I like that guy. He always, actor. almost always plays a, a, a prick uh, or in a, the best like a, possible yeah. way. He's really good. Miller's Crossing, Go. Uh, he's in Alien Resurrection as well. Oh, right. He is in um, that. This, I think, is one of his the best performance. He's great. And he's just so convincing mm -hmm. as like a, a hardened CIA, yeah. you know, prick, you know? I think another potential person on that list could be Polly Walker as Annette. I think she's very, very strong. Look, this is a strong movie across the board, but I think on some level, and David Threffel, I think is Robert Highland is great, but I think I'm torn between Ann Archer, who I think is, you know, previously on this podcast in Narrow Margin, who's just a great actress. We may have given it to her for Narrow Margin. I can't remember. I'm, oh, no, I, we gave it to... Um, Jim Sicking. Jim yeah. Sicking, yeah, we, yeah, which was deserved. Sean Bean, this is just like a, a taste of what's to come from him as an actor. He's so extraordinary in everything. He's so good in Goldeneye. You know, whenever I think of Goldeneye, I think of Franklin James, and then he gets shot. It's just so powerful. And he's great in Game of Thrones, and he's 
amazing and one of my favorite movies of all time, which I don't know if we talked about it, but I bet you can guess what it is. I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a line from it. You ever kill anybody? Ronan. Oh, yes, of course. What... Too what shooting. color is the boathouse at Hereford? I what color you. is the boathouse at Hereford? I ambushed you with a fucking coffee amazing. cup. That's amazing. amazing. Um, I, I think this is a tough one. I got to give it to Ann Archer. I agree. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Yeah, she's amazing. I love the fact that, you know, in a lot of these action movies, we talked about the fact that, um, you know, the the typically the role of the quote unquote wife is this. Well, I don't want to get the phone call at 3 a.m. that you've been killed. Like, bland, vanilla, yeah. whiny, dull A little bit of, like, right? some of Adrian in the Rocky movies when they don't take Just the time to drip, really... Just a drip, you yeah, know, because it's not their fault because the characters are under, underdeveloped. This character is a top eye surgeon at John Hopkins, right? Yeah. Drives a Porsche. Is what a an, baller. You know, yeah, it was total badass. And then she has that great moment when, um, you mentioned earlier, where, when they, she can't find the shells for the shotgun, but uses the butt of it to... To smack, to smack in the face. Annette, Annette in the face. Um, I think I, I I just think it's important that um, you know the female lead is actually a dimensional um, character who is is like you know to the diehard thing we talked about how Bonnie Bedelia as Holly McLean is doing Cunning. better. Yeah. She's doing better in her job than John McLean. That's an interesting parallel. And so yeah. is she. Yeah, that's not an issue for him. He's not it's a not he's a not like a dinosaur, so, you know whatever. So you know times are sort of changing around that issue and I think that's worth tracking. I think she's just got so many with for a character I mean Philip Noyce mentioned this that she, her the tricky thing for her playing this role is that she's a reactive character. Things happen to her. She doesn't drive the action forward. Yet in spite of that um, you love her. You love her in this character. She also know, makes a, a brilliant choice uh, earlier on in the film when she's like, did they ask you to go back to CIA? And he says, I said no, honey. And she says, and this line by, from a lesser actress, from a lesser well-directed movie, I can't go back to that yeah. life. But from her, it's like, I can't go back to that life. It's and very honest. It's and very honest. Yeah, and, clear. and also and... like, don't fuck around. And then he does go back to the life, which I, I was, I found, I found a little complicated in terms of you know the movie. But of course, he has to. It's a natural plan. So yeah, I, Ann Archer uh, a hundred times. But this to, to to ignore. There's just a lot of well, really there's, good. There's actors one thing in this I wanted movie. to you know for my honorable mention. They're all they're all great, but. Um, James Earl Jones as, as Admiral yeah. Jim Greer. What Philip Noyce said about him I thought was wonderful. He said, he is possibly the greatest actor I've ever worked with. He's a fine violin and a fine violin player. By that I mean he understands and plays the instrument that are his body and voice just so well. You know, I think we people lose sight of James Earl Jones because of Darth Vader. They just think of Darth Vader. But what a like incredible actor and an important figure. He's wonderful. And he kind of goes on a cool arc through the, these three movies yeah. of Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games, and Clear and Present Danger, where he has a lot of heavy lifting as He's an actor. amazing in Clear and, and Present uh, Danger. Yes, very, very powerful. I can't wait to talk about that movie. Yeah. I, I actually rewatched it the day my son was born. Yeah. It was yeah. wild. It was like a really... That, yeah. On my phone in the hospital. My wife was like, I'm having the baby. I was like, hang on, this part's good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Chill out. The Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the Movie. I just wanted to pause and say that I'm doing a good job of saying Thornburg. Yeah. The Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the Movie. Nominees are... Jeffrey Watkins, played by Hugh Fraser, mm. the traitor insider at the, Is at the he, Royals. It's never clarified why he's betraying them is no it? he doesn't really because he doesn't have a clear motivation and he's also he's explained he's, he's british right he's english so it's not like it's like he's a 
it's like a cultural or like he's actually Irish. Well, he doesn't is... have like to your point about uh, David Threlfall's character. He doesn't have any. It would have been nice maybe to have some of that, yeah. but there probably just wasn't the real estate you know, uh, mm. to get into it. He was just a, you know, he's just a traitor. You know, it might be different if it's a different actor. I don't know. Like if it's been a, maybe, an, maybe an Irish actor or something where they don't even have to say it, but it's implied in the character or something it's like tricky that. tricky because you don't want to um, give away the, the twist. True. And you don't really think too much about him because he seems very at home in that world of the Royals. But um, anyway, he's... Um, he, he is he's, a dick though. He is a dick. Uh, Marty Cantor, played by the great J.E. Freeman, um, has Jack's uh, belligerent and obstructive CIA colleague. Um, and the electrician, <laughs> played by Tom Watt, in the scene with, in, the, in the rare bookshop yeah. when they realize... Hello, it's like very character. Exactly. It was, he's, he's walked straight off Windsor Flight 114 <laughs> from Die Hard 2. Yeah. Oh, hello. His seat yeah. was next to the Artful Dodger. He's like, he's like Dick Van Dyke and <laughs> Mary Poppins. He's just, the one, he's just the one caricature in the whole movie. Because as I say, I felt that most of the British stuff, they got the details right. He's ridiculous. But he's just so exaggerated. <gasps> well, and, um, Maybe, I'm curious. Well, he's funny in the scene, actually. But it's kind of like, look, this is a working class English British person. Like, it's a little ridiculous, yeah, right? Yeah. You know. And so I, yeah, I, I, don't know. I put him put him on. Philip the list. Noyce maybe spent a little more time casting. I don't know what happened there, but you know, to that guy's credit, he's memorable. Do you have anybody else? Those are my three. Oh, you missed the the best. Well, first of all, the bookseller's the dick, but the guy who says that's a kill moment while he's yes. sipping his coffee, he's the dick of the movie. Okay, yeah. He, I don't know who that actor is, and no disrespect, that guy sucks. And it's pretty amazing that in a single line, you're like, that guy is the biggest piece of shit in the entire yeah. world. Yeah, he's yeah. awful. You know, he's like some idiot that went to Stanford and works for a think tank, and is soon like, mm -hmm. it's just. And Ford, he's almost like he's almost an extension of Greer in Clear and Present Danger, like the government functionary who's only in it for themselves, and is just like, like it's sort of forecast. You mean Ritter, Ritter, or, not Greer, yeah, Ritter, not Greer. Sorry, yeah, he's he kind of like forecasts the Ritter character in Clear and Present Danger as this like yeah. shitty morally. I bet they bankrupt. went to college together, actually. Yeah, those they two definitely. Guys. Henry Cerny, yeah, the yeah, best. He's the best. Oh uh, yeah, he's the dick of the movie. Um, best death. Fair. Best death. Um, kind of again, kind of a weird one to be glib about, but um, this is just a movie. Um, I've got yeah, Hitman Ned and Jared Goff look alike being killed by uh, the the security forces outside the Naval Academy. Uh -huh. um, Hitman Ned. Sean killing um, Jeffrey Watkins, I thought was quite effective. You know, yeah. by sort of by accident when he just kind of goes in, guns, guns blazing, blazing, and what kills, a lunatic. He's kills really their own off, man. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Reardon being killed by a net. Um, uh, with a double tap to the head, yeah, very yeah. professional. And Sean Miller Darling. being thrown onto the anchor by Jack Ryan. In some ways, it almost has to be Sean being thrown onto the anchor, but I do think the 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 killing of, um, what's his name, Reardon by mm -hmm. by uh, Nett is is great because it's it's sort of the one kind of like quippy action movie line in the movie. I, I think that, that like, from he the- He thought he was in for a very different night. <laughs> <laughs> If the movie was from his point of view, it'd be a very different <laughs> thing. Uh, good, it, yeah. I, I think it's got to be Sean Bean though, because it's Agreed. the catharsis, yeah, 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 and yeah. you know, it's an extension. And this isn't a movie of glib kills. And also, Sean Bean gets blown up shortly after because he's probably still alive, actually. And then it gets blown up when the when the the flaming boat hits, hits, hits the, the rock, so he sort of gets double bubble. Double um, bubble. It's a good game for satisfying, Nintendo. It's a satisfying it's a double death. Bubble? Double jeopardy. Ooh, let's take off the suits and put on the lab coats. I yeah. don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. Now you know I like to make these 
quiz questions as convoluted as possible. Yeah, I know, I do know. But at least you do it in that beautiful voice. I actually have a quiz question for you. Oh, cool. All right, so you can get your own back. All right. All right, question number one. It's easy. Question number one. In 1991, John McTiernan executive produced a TV movie starring Patrick Bergen in the title role as a medieval outlaw. Which legendary English folk hero did Bergen play? And there is a clue. You can phone a friend. Yeah, I need to phone a friend. You can phone a friend. I I feel like it's close. Another major film was released the exact same year about the exact same character with Alan Rickman playing the villain opposite... Kevin Costner. The 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 theatrical movie is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I imagine the title of the made-for-TV movie starring Patrick Bergen is Robin Hood. Correct. Nineteen ninety-one British adventure film. Is it good? Um, I've never seen it. Uh, huh. Uma Thurman is in it. Jurgen Prochnow, y- oh. Jerome Crabbe, and Edward Fox. Wow, Jurgen Prochnow and Jerome Crabbe yeah. are in a movie it together. It was supposed to be a theatrical release, but it ends up um, going I premiering check on that television. Out. Yeah. I like I like Robin Hood stories. I really like Patrick Bergen, actually. I think he's great. And he he just, he'd done um, the Julia Roberts. Sleeping uh, with the Enemy. Yeah, so he was kind of having a moment, as yeah. they say, in, in, around that time. Sleeping with the Enemy was a big movie in my house with my, like, that my that my parents would put on with my sisters after I went to bed. They'd let me watch Patriot games, and they're like, I don't know, Julia Roberts is in the tub in this one, maybe something else. All right, I got one, two more. Okay. Question number two. Which member of the Patriot Games cast played the role of Zeus Carver in one of the Die Hard sequels? Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, I knew you'd get that Come one. on. Sometimes I like to just throw you a gimme. I love Samuel L. Jackson in Die Hard of the Vengeance. He's so good in that movie. Anyway. Great movie. Um, yeah. All right. And for our ultimate convoluted corner, oh corner, corner, corner. <laughs> Welcome Question. to Convoluted Corner with your host, <laughs> Phil Gawthorn. Question number three. Ellen Gear, who plays Jack Ryan's CIA colleague Rose oh. in this movie. Remember her? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She also appeared in the 1983 film Heart on a Wheel. Bruce Willis was a big fan of that film and handpicked the star of it for a key role in Die Hard. Can you guess that star? Is it Ellis? Can I have a clue? You can. This actress appeared in two of the biggest box office hits of 1990, one of which was Die Hard 2. The other was a courtroom drama we've discussed several times on this podcast that also starred Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah. It's um, Bonnie Bedelli. Yeah. Presumed Innocent is a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Harrison Ford. All right. I'm going to attempt to do a Phil Gothorn voice for my trivia question. What famous filmmaker's brother appears as a lowly CIA analyst in Patriot Games? Great question. Um, Ted Raimi is Sam Raimi's brother, yep. and he appears as the analyst in he this does. movie. He does, and he looks exactly like his brother. He, funnily enough, he's also got a little part in Hard Target. Yep. I, I, he's in a few things in the 90s. Yeah, You're kind of like, oh, there's Ted up. Raimi. He's also in a lot of Sam Raimi's yeah. movies as well. Sam Raimi. Love Sam Raimi. Great filmmaker. Great, great filmmaker. Uh... Great movie. I don't know what else to say. I love this movie. I think in in a weird way, like my appreciation of it has only deepened from this conversation. You know, it's I have a real soft spot for movies that are both exciting and visceral and great that also have the ability to engage real world events. You know, Clear and Present Danger, which follows this up, does that. I mean, you know, one of my favorite things about the Lethal Weapon movies, for example, is that they all tackle real issues, right? Lethal Weapon 1 is kind of about... Uh, it's about drugs and, you know, but it's also about, like, 
being a veteran. Lethal Weapon 2 is about uh, apartheid. Lethal Weapon 3 is about gang violence in, in, in L.A. And, and 4, which is admittedly kind of a ridiculous movie, is very sympathetic to the immigrants. And so I think about that a lot. I, j- I just love that, you know, Die Hard is kind of is an interesting example or film to relate to this one because it's a little at times preposterous and ridiculous. Right? I mean, that's the nature of it. It's, it's, it's a big, big action movie. But you can feel in Die Hard that people like Hans Gruber can exist. People like Carl can exist, right? The kind of things they do in the movie might not, but you can feel that kind of like greed is good Wall Street kind of vibe. It, it feels like a real thing. And Patriot Games and I think Hunt for October and Clear and Present Danger are like a natural extension of this, like let's make a exciting movie, but let's not discount the human element and the tragedy of current contemporary, at least at the time, politics. I, I would sort of frame it as well as like, uh, you know, we have Die Hard going down this one track uh, and uh, this is a, a, a it branches off, and then uh, it continues in two in two different tracks. Basically, you have the more uh, l- sort of light-hearted, less serious Die Hard on a Blank type films, such yeah. as Sudden Death, or you know, un- Under Siege to some extent, and 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 those. And then on this other track that this is branched off from Hunt for Red October, you have these serious, um, politically conscious techno thrillers that right. are more. Uh, grounded in real world events, grounded in real world politics, and and slightly more intelligent and realistic in their approach. And the two think these two tracks run parallel uh, throughout the '90s. You know, you mentioned The Rock, which isn't in some ways a preposterous movie, but in other ways is maybe my favorite Michael Bay movie because Ed Harris's character is so justified, and it feels and it's rooted in what happened in the Iraq War, and it's just it's it's great in that sense. It's powerful. Yeah, in right? some ways, that film has elements of, of both, although it's it's bit more uh, it, it's it's less of a serious film. But that that doesn't have to be a pejorative statement. To me, The Rock is arguably you know without question for me in the top three action films ever made. It's it's good. But Patriot Games yeah, but we're talking is about um, Patriot. Phil, uh, I love this movie. I think it's fantastic. Harrison Ford's incredible in it. It was the birth of this iconic, uh, yeah. or, or the, the rebirth of this iconic um, iconic character, and he is amazing. Well, and I just also think that like this is going to be a big year for Ford. He's aging. I think there's going to be some big reconsiderations of his contribution to movies, and and lost in that, I think, really is the. The, the sort of mid-tier Ford movie. Not even mid-tier, but mid-period and like non-Indiana non Jones, non-Indiana non Jones, non-Han Solo kind of projects like The Mosquito Coast, Witness, uh, Jack Ryan, you know, the Devil's Own, like these kind of parts where he got to be a regular guy who didn't have to be an action hero and how soulful he could be. You know, I was talking about, my wife was talking about that Hollywood Reporter, whole reporter piece and she was like, you know, he's never won an action, uh, he's never won an Academy Award. And I was like, yeah, but he's bigger than that. I mean, not to, that'd be great. If Harrison Ford won an Academy Award, that would be great. But he's, he's created something much bigger than an award. He's created like a kind of iconic American. He is Gary Cooper. He's a new Gary Cooper. He's contributed that much to adult action or adult drama thrillers throughout his career. He's just amazing. My my favorite probably of that era was was Witness, for which he was Oscar nominated. Great movie. I love that movie. Great movie. Well, it's interesting you referenced also that he was a big fan of an Australian film because he worked with Peter Weir. Yeah. You know, I think a few times. Yeah, Mosquito Coast Mosquito and Coast as well. Yeah. And also just, you know, we've been going for a while. Great taste in what he does and what he chooses to work on. So Harrison Ford, you're the best. All right. Hey, listen, listen. Listen, are you subscribed to the show? Have you rated the show? 
Have you reviewed the show? Do all of those things if you haven't. Tell a friend. If you have a friend that likes action movies, that likes Patriot Games, they're the person to tell about this show. Please uh, do that. And also, you can find us on Twitter. Phil, where are you on a Twitter? These? Where are you with, at with Twitter these days? Um, you on there? I'm there. You check in? Um, <laughs> see what's going on? <laughs> uh, should, you know, should we at you? How uh, do we add yeah, you? Yeah, you can at me, um, at Philip Gawthorne. Um, please do. You know, I'm, I'm shouting into the void out there. Yeah, so he is. Help He's me out. so much. Just a lot of tweets about hard-boiled. Yep. I'm at Liam G. Billingham. The show is on Twitter and Instagram, at DieHardOAB. And you can email us at DieHardOAB at gmail.com. Next time on the show, Casey Ryback. Cutting dudes up with his kitchen knives. Because we're going under siege, baby. Welcome to the revolution. Thanks, everybody. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm Phil Gawthorne. And we'll be back next time with some new FBI guys, I guess. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast created and hosted by Philip Gawthorne. Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Please rate, review, subscribe, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, tell your movie podcast-loving friends about Die Hard on a Blank. Special thanks to Suki Chu and the whole team at Sugar23. See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.